Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Experientially Speaking Podcast from Red Peg Marketing. I'm Chris Guerin. Before we get to today's conversation, I want to quickly remind you to make sure you subscribe to the Experientially Speaking Podcast wherever you listen. And if you like the show, please leave us a rating and some comments. Today we're back with another episode of Taking the Pulse, where we'll talk through three articles featured in a recent issue of our email newsletter. You can subscribe to the Red Peg Pulse newsletter on redpeg.com. All right, let's get Trinity and Rebecca in here, and we'll talk Nike, Reebok, and Candyman. All right, welcome back, everybody. I'm joined now by Trinity and Rebecca. Guys, how's it going? Doing good. Great. How are you? Doing good. We're back. We're back for another episode of Checking the Pulse, Taking the Pulse, Taking the Pulse. <laughs> I'm going to get that right, but we're going we're gonna to keep it going so that way it's ingrained in people's minds, Taking the Pulse, yep. and we're going to look through three articles that are featured in a recent Pulse newsletter from bedpeg.com. Subscribe. This is not going to be the last time in the episode that we tell you to subscribe to the newsletter, but we wanted to take some time and talk through three things that we read that caught our mind that are especially relevant to us in the experiential space. And three brands that are doing a really awesome job kind of mixing both physical experiences and AR experiences, things that can happen online that we still consider experiences, Nike, Reebok, and the upcoming Candyman film. So we'll talk through three of those articles. Before we get started, those article links will be in the show notes. So if you want to read through, check them out, see what we're talking about, see if you agree with us, you can do that after the show. That will be in the notes. But we'll start with Nike, one of my favorite brands that we've talked about a bunch on this show and with good reason, right? They have a really unique in-store experience in a lot of places. If you go to New York's Nike store, it's going to be a lot different than when you visit them in like Portland, Oregon or Mm -hmm. Los Angeles or you know somewhere over in Europe. The story that we're going to talk about today, Input Mag's Edgar Alvarez Barajas, I think I got that right, Yeah, close enough, <laughs> um, wrote an article in, in Input Mag about their new immersive rise store in Seoul, South Korea, and there's also a store in China. So if we think about Nike now, they have all of this consumer data they've been collecting over these years. People have their Nike profiles, now they have years, probably close to a decade of this rich, like deep insight into everything people have bought on Nike.com down to what they prefer for their running shoes, what they prefer for their lifestyle shoes, basketball, any you know sport related shoes, and then all of their apparel preferences, all these things. So now they're putting it into action in the physical space in all these select markets. I would imagine that if slash when these types of stores are successful in Asia, I would imagine we'll probably see them in the aforementioned 100%. New York's, London's, Los Angeles. So I'm, I'm just really curious what you guys think about their ability now to, they have all this broad infrastructure, but now they're focusing everything back on the individual consumer when they come in the mm-hmm. door. It's almost like they have this e-commerce atmosphere, this whole infrastructure where they know that they can reach the masses through their app their social media Mm -hmm. through nike.com but when people come through their doors now it's time for a super personalized experience because that's how you turn people into fanatics that's how you Mm -hmm. get them totally immersed in the nike brand yeah i think beyond it just being personalized not only is it personalized to the person it's personalized to them over time as well because digital i've been using that term a lot you know physical and digital combining it together this digital world because Nike has this huge infrastructure and has access to both of these types of data in store and digital. Mm -hmm. I think that every time they come into a store like this, 
their experience is personalized. So they'll never walk in and have the exact same experience as somebody who loves running, but my feet are changing over time. I'm only 22, but (laughs) I swear I have to feel like a 50 year old and having that little board that can Mm -hmm. compare two shoes would be great. And sure. I could do that online, but shoes is one thing where you need to try them on in person. And another thing that you didn't mention, Chris, it's one of my favorite things. As I mentioned on the last podcast, sustainability is very important to me. And I think, again, brands like Nike have a huge responsibility to actually move on those sort of things. And this is the first time where consumers can repair both old shoes and old apparel. So if this works here, they're going to, they've said that they plan on focusing that more into the States and other countries as well. But I love that that is an additional pairing of this, really bringing everything full circle and encouraging people to have specialized experiences, but also keep coming back and trying to rewear the same thing, come in, repair, rewear, repair, rewear. But they want to keep coming. Especially with vintage always coming back, knowing that like you can find shirt and bring it in and be like, hey, can you fix this for me? I bought it for four bucks. Now it's a really nice new t-shirt. That's a really good way for them to just get resale value on their own items and Mm -hmm. people to get really hyped about rebuying even damaged pieces of Nike clothing and using them again. And then also just with the fact of like everyone having a different experience, people love customization, every aspect of it. So knowing that like you'll walk in and then could see, even though it's a little scary sometimes because they have your location and they know what you've been up to, like seeing like your numbers up or comparison against people and like bringing out that competitive nature that obviously Nike's a sports company that's like everything that they're about, like winning, playing the game, like team, seeing those stats and seeing where you place in like your specific city is super cool as that like super local aspect of it as well. I also think that since it's super custom, they can decrease the amount of stuff they make because they know the demand better in that super local aspect. So it's really sustainable and more than just like you can bring stuff in, get them reworked, but also, hey, you also won't be buying so much clothes and then being like, okay, it's on sale now, buy it for like 50% off and then not knowing what to do with it. Instead, you're actually buying what you need and saving a lot more money. Yeah, I think Nike also does this thing really flawlessly where they blur the lines between all channels. I don't think a lot can do that. Again, that is because of their infrastructure and how much data they have. Um, But somebody who was quoted in this interview even said that we're trying to blur the boundaries between the digital and physical space. I think a lot right now are trying to, a lot of brands are trying to combine the two, Mm -hmm. but they're not doing so as flawlessly. And occasionally it can feel kind of clunky. Um, But Nike does that in a flawless way where you the consumer shouldn't really know how much work is going on behind the scenes. They should just enjoy it and uh, naturally want to come back. So I think Nike is doing that great. Yeah, I think, and I'm looking at a screenshot and you can check this out. It's in a Nike release that's linked in the story that we're referencing here. But the the giant three-story wall that we're talking about here, what it looks like to me is... And it's the perfect example you just said, Trinity, which is blurring the lines. It's like, it's a, what it is is a visualization of local members, um, Nike run stats. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's literally almost like, so I, I'm a runner. I'm an, I'm an amateur runner. I should say <laughs> me that. Too, me uh, too. <laughs> I'm an amateur runner, but I use a Nike run app. And it really is like the little badges, all of the like the heat map of your runs, all of the things kind of make it like it's like my run is a video game. Mm -hmm. And it's like Mm -hmm. you I'm like I am actually the controller of these little stats that I'm trying to get Mm -hmm. just a little bit better or go a little bit further or maybe have my pace a little bit better. 
And all these things are visualized on a huge scale in these stores. And I think it just builds this interesting, it's an interesting aspect towards this community building thing that Mm -hmm. I think a lot of brands try to do now is not just have people be transactional and buy their stuff, but have their, their consumers be part of a community. And I think this, this encapsulates it really well. It's kind of like a community center for Nike Mm -hmm. lovers in Seoul, South Korea, in Guangzhou, China. So it's just an interesting um, way to tie it all up. In, in one physical experience and they have all the pieces. So I, I think it's a, the thing that I think we can learn always from these types of things is just how we, how we think about the, the 360 experience, whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, when we're, whether we're on a tour with a physical footprint or we're putting together a website experience for a client, it's just interesting how many different data points they can pull from and kind of make visualize this whole experience where people feel like they can come stay a while and that they're they're part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was reading this the other night and I thought Patagonia of shoe wear. We're getting into <laughs> sustainability now and this whole community thing. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. That's um, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> really cool. Moving on to another shoe brand. Um kind of a shoe, shoe, apparel, whatever you want to say. Um, Reebok is our next topic of discussion. We are going to get into the article that was published by Contagious. But first, I want to rewind a little bit into a problem that Reebok has been having for a bit. So in the most recent past, it hasn't been seen as the go-to brand for sporting professionals, nor for those looking for athleisure, fashion, or style. So right now, they don't have a set audience that they're trying to target. So keeping that in mind as I outline this article, and that's important because I think that this campaign that they just pulled together is trying to establish a new offering for a new target as well. So Reebok targets inner city youth with basketball court AR tool. Um, so this is all about the courting greatness tool that uses a mobile phone's camera and measurement features to map the dimensions of a basketball court onto any space big enough to contain them. So imagine you're going down the street, as long as you have a phone, you can have a basketball court right in front of you. Um, So the whole point of this was to celebrate the grit and creativity of city youths who normally wouldn't have access to these sort of things like a basketball court. Now, if you're like me, the first time you read this, you're like, Okay, if somebody doesn't have access to a basketball court, why are they going to have access to a phone who has the apps to hold this capacity of extended reality? Um, And at the bottom of the article, it actually outlines that you don't have to download any app. As long as you have a camera and access to the web, you can do that. So I think that that was one step that they took in the right direction. It's also fully integrated, which looking on the brand side of this was great. They're doing this alongside a shoe release. There's an experiential pop-up of an actual physical Um, basketball hoop that's made of a lot of different resources throughout the city. There's, again, this extended reality component that I just outlined. And finally, they have an eight-minute spot about the youth in the inner cities. So they did great with that whole fully integrating this campaign. Um, And I love that they didn't require the audience to have an app because that was something that was a little bit worrisome to me. Um, But what do you guys think about this? I think I think it's it's really neat anytime we've looked into AR experiences in our work here at Red Peg plenty as well. I think anytime you can kind of bring a really simple, I think it helps if it's nostalgic, something to everybody using AR. It's really, really exciting. And I think that this is really cool because, you know, it, 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 it helps people anywhere. It helps bring a court to anywhere. People mm-hmm. can literally draw a court in their front yard on, on near a basketball hoop. 
near a wall. Yep. You know, you can you can literally use wherever you are to draw a basketball court. I think that that's a really interesting lane for for Reebok to jump into. And they're going about it in an interesting way. I think I think anytime we talk through one of these activations, there's there has to be multiple components, right? Mm-hmm. There has to be like a physical component, there has to be content, which if you ch- check out this article, there's this nice like film wrapping up like what this mm-hmm. campaign is all about. And then in Reebok's case, they have something to lean on in a previous partnership with Alan Iverson, who when he was in the NBA, his partnership with Reebok was iconic. Like his shoes, his brand was was just, it was at the forefront of basketball culture. Like I remember I bought Reeboks because of Alan Iverson. I didn't buy them because of any, anybody else. Mm-hmm. I didn't particularly love the brand. I've always liked <laughs> I've always liked Nike Adidas yeah. more. But there are these athletes throughout time that are able to do that. Dwayne Wade with Converse, Alan Iverson with Reebok. So I think it's just they're they're smartly going back on this nostalgic pull where I think there's interest in, in younger generations of kind of learning the the history and Alan Iverson is such an iconic figure that I think they're they're smart to just pick all these pieces and put them together in a modern way that younger generations are used to using. AR is something that they're very um, native to. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just think this comes together in a really smart way and makes it accessible, makes the game of basketball as accessible as possible. Yeah, it also helps build community, which I know we mentioned with Nike Rise, the aspect of using mm-hmm. technology to build that sense. Like a basketball court involves many people coming together to play a game and that aspect of team building. And I think it's super and very cool, actually, that Reebok is like, hey, you know what? We're going to take this to kids so they can have the opportunity to play the game, have fun, but also like make friends. At the end of the day, like that's what you're doing. You're like making friends, you're doing teams, you're improving your skills, you're getting outside, which is important. And it's a way to like use technology to be like, go outside. Remember when I was younger, it was like Disney Channel or one of them that were like for like four hours a day, they're like, no more shows, go outside. And it was just like a blank screen where it was like, go outside. And you're like, really? But I feel like this gives kids something to do with that technology. Like, oh, what am I going to do outside? Mm -hmm. Cool. I can draw a basketball court with some friends. And it's also a really nice way to tie the activation together, right? Because we're always thinking about like, how can we add a digital aspect to the actual experience? And I think this is a cool way of not just doing something digital for the sake of it, but doing something that could actually have a positive impact Mm -hmm. on people while building off a campaign, which is always really cool. Yeah. And just to leave listeners with some food for thought, I think you could argue what I'm about to say um, one way or another, but this comes at a time also where Shaquille O'Neal just turned down a $40 million five-year deal with Reebok after having a partnership with Reebok since 1992. The reason he did that was because he felt like it wasn't accessible to a lot of people who had lower incomes, who just, again, didn't have access to brands like Reebok. And now Shaquille O'Neal is partnered with Walmart, and he actually brought a lot of Reebok designers with him. So that's interesting. Um, This came within weeks of this campaign that we just spoke about coming to fruition. Um, Again, you could argue whether this was perhaps, it obviously couldn't have come at the back end of backlash because this just doesn't come together that quickly. Um, But perhaps there were conversations and Reebok does want to do good now. So I'm hoping that that's the case, but I think we'd be remiss not to mention another thing going on in Reebok's world right now. 100% completely valid point. And building off of like that AR experience, Chris mentioned in the beginning, we'll be talking about Candyman. So I'm not a fan about anything that revolves around horror. I don't know about you guys, <laughs> yeah. but I'm not. 
not the type of person to just casually like, you know what I'm in the mood for? A horror movie. <laughs> um, and this sounds terrifying. So I guess they're doing their job right. Yeah. But on Adweek, Patrick Culp wrote a whole article about Candyman and how all you have to do is say it five times on your phone to trigger a very creepy AR experience that involves a movie. So this was a really big collaboration. As we all know, COVID delayed a lot of things. Universal Pictures had this movie in the back burner for a mm-hmm. while. And instead of just, you know, sitting on it, they decided to do something really cool. And they ended up partnering with Poster, which is the agency that worked on this whole web app. And basically, you look at your phone, <laughs> you say Candyman five times. I'm not going to say it five times. <laughs> and animated bees start swirling around your head. There's a creepy three-dimensional graphic that consumes your screen and ultimately you get to see the trailer at the end which I can tell you as it appeared on my YouTube ads it's very scary and not fun to watch (laughs) but really cool way of taking on an urban legend and making it come to life in a way that could really scare people and then get also people who are into horror excited to go and actually see the movie in person and you know see that AR experience actually in a movie setting. Okay well fun fact for you all (laughs) I am big into like psychology and neuroscience Mm -hmm. and so one of the reasons when I saw the first just the first line of this article multi-sensory processing went off in my brain. I in order for us not us, but for brands to reserve that little spot in our brains, they need to make it into the neural network. I'm giving you all a science lesson. <laughs> but they need to make it into the neural network in order to connect like these associations. Mm-hmm. And the best way for that to happen is both visually and audibly, as well as being able to hear it. So I love when they, without, again, without the consumer knowing that that's what they're doing, oh, yeah. they make sure that they can see and say something. Um, Cause now everyone's going to remember Candyman. Obviously people already knew about it, but a lot of other brands can learn from things like this with multi-sensory processing and how that's important in the day where we're exposed to hundreds of brands every day. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a perfect, I think that's a perfect way to sum up and, and is a good, is good scientific reasoning behind why horror movies are so terrifying, yep. right? Because they play on all of those things. Like if yeah. you're sitting in a theater watching a horror movie there, it's obviously what you're watching is creepy and weird and it's dark usually. And there's oh, the all music. kinds of things. But there's the music and the and the angles at which it's, it's coming at you. The lighting. And, and <laughs> all of those things, coupled with the fact that in the back of our mind, we've already seen a couple of horror movies where we're like, all right, where when's it gonna happen? Right? Mm-hmm. Like when's it gonna jump out at me? When is when is something gonna come around the corner? And so playing on that, playing on all those things through AR, I think is a really smart way to market a movie in, in today's day and age because it's a unique experience. Horror movies are a unique experience in that to, to, in order to scare somebody, especially now, like we've seen a lot of things. We've seen a lot of horror movies. Mm-hmm. We've seen a lot of techniques that horror movie directors use to mm-hmm. make scary things. So now it's got to like really be scary. Yeah. And it's got to like, it's got to play on all those things that you mentioned. And so I think that's a really interesting way to do it through AR. I'm sure that this movie is absolutely horrifying. <laughs> Jordan Peele has made some oh yes. my gosh. just like, I mean, I think such a good director though. Yes. Like he's been cel- he's been celebrated. I think rightfully so, mm-hmm. but like even the trailers for his movies, I, I sometimes like, if I'm not in the right mood or if it's at night, I just like, I have that's to turn the I channel. That's when I had the YouTube ad come up at night. It was yeah. petrifying. <laughs> yeah. But I, but I think this is a great example of, of we always talk about trying to get 
people immersed in mm -hmm. whatever that whatever it is, whether it's a movie, a brand, something like that. This is a super smart way to do it, and, and it's fairly simple. It's I think it's really accessible, um, and there's not a not a huge barrier to entry. Well, actually, I was going to ask about that because you have to download an app in order to use this. It's on web too if i understood it correctly so i'm not i'm not sure i do know though that they mentioned in the article so riddle which i think is somewhat involved with the whole process of making this happen she mentioned how most things like from in person are pivoting web obviously and apps and everything and something really cool, I think, just to mention is that she said the key for them is always interactivity. So if you go on Snapchat, there's like hundreds of different things that yeah. come up. Um, but she was like, how can we go beyond a passive experience into viewing something in AR? Mm -hmm. And I think that's like really cool as well. Just you find. Because I was just curious if we think that perhaps TikTok or another social media would have been better for this because I I think you have to download an app. If not, I guess you could do it online. But would TikTok or Instagram have been better? I don't know. Do you guys have thoughts on that? I mean, that's a good point. I think I we've seen brands activate through all of them. Mm -hmm. I think like we've seen brands activate in Instagram stories, certainly through Snapchat, um, TikTok as well. I think it's an interesting question that I'm sure they ask themselves mm -hmm. is that, okay, do we want to make it native to a app or do we want to mm -hmm. make it a web app? where you can go on your browser, get the content, and then put it somewhere. Yeah. I think it's an interesting question now that probably brands have not had to ask themselves as much in the last probably like five years. Yeah. It's been like, maybe yes. like, it's been more obvious. Like yeah. Snapchat has been a great AR platform for a long time. And then TikTok came along and it's like, oh, well, yeah. wait, like now this needs to be a part mm -hmm. of my TikTok or like Snapchat is, is not enough maybe in certain people's social media mix so I, I do I think that's a good question but I think that's maybe what they maybe that's what they were approaching here is yeah. that kind of like an open source experience for lack of a better if word if I remember correctly they mentioned they didn't use a social app because of how limited the capabilities were yeah I read yeah. that part and how immersive that I mean I haven't tried it so I wouldn't know but I'm assuming <laughs> about how immersive yeah. they want it to like appear and like make you actually feel like you're in it mm -hmm. so I mean always have to play along those lines like with any like social platforms of like how much do you want to do it and is it worth jumping off those apps yeah. to achieve the level that you want yeah. to get to I would love to be on a fly on the wall for those conversations <laughs> <laughs> But it's all good things to think about for us and kind of to wrap, wrap this topic up and kind of bring it all full circle is that it's good. I think it's a good thought exercise, literally what we just did right now. I think it's something that as marketers, we can all bring into future brainstorms, things about, you know, if we're talking about an upcoming pitch or we're talking about a potential incoming client, like these are all the kinds of conversations I think that marketers, certainly in experiential where we tend to live most of the time, but kind of across the board, just having these, anytime you're creating user generated content and um, asking people to participate, it's a really interesting exercise, I think, to think about like where your target is and where they're more likely to actually share something and where they're most likely to engage. I think this was an interesting approach of just kind of giving people the tools to make the content or to experience it in the easiest way possible and then having them kind of do with it what they may. Mm -hmm. I think we might see that. I think that's an interesting thing to watch over the next year yeah. or so, year beyond, to see how many people... There was this like app craze where you got to get it on the app store and you want, like, want people to have our app. I think it'll be interesting now to see if people kind of go the other way and say like, no, our app is just a website, but it functions like an app. It's simple. It's easy to use, um, but you can get it anywhere and you, you, know, you don't have to download anything and take that extra step. So mm -hmm. we'll see. Something to watch. 
hundred percent. Awesome. Well, thank you guys. Thanks for joining us for another uh, an episode and we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up right there. Awesome. That'll do it for this week's episode of Experientially Speaking. Thanks Trinity and Rebecca as always for joining. And like we mentioned at the top of the show, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the Experientially Speaking podcast wherever you listen. You can also subscribe to our weekly Pulse newsletter on redpeg.com. This podcast is produced by Rashid Cole and our digital designer is Colton Wright. Talk to you all soon.